Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 5, 1 to 20. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll invite Graham Watson now to preach to us this morning. Thanks, Helen. You're better at technology than you give yourself credit for. Well, the season is upon us, uh, fall, uh, but this year in Canada, election season. Uh, all of our politicians are promising us uh, their ears, they're going to take less money from us. They're going to spend more money on the things that we love. They're going to, as Pedro once promised a high school in Napoleon Dynamite, make all of our wildest dreams come true. There's, <laughs> I, I say this in jest, folks. They are seeking to hopefully bless us in some way this October or win our favor. And this month of October, we are starting a series on the Sermon on the Mount. The reading we had this morning is the first bit of a long sermon that Jesus gives. Matthew kind of compiles this long teaching of Jesus together. And I think it's fitting to think about it a little bit this way, because I think this is a pretty good indicator of Jesus' platform. It's a long, articulated series of teachings we have that give us a very good look at what Jesus was hoping people would take from his teaching, his hopes for how we would treat each other, and his hopes for the future of this world. Matthew um, sets Jesus up kind of like Moses. We read at the beginning that he was up on top of a mountain. And for good Jews who knew their Torah, this would prime them to think about Moses up on top of a mountain. Moses was given a law of ten commandments, and then there was a lot, if you've read it, tedious parsing out of exactly how and what we should do with those ten commandments. 
And Jesus sets up a bunch of blessings that frame the rest of this sermon he gives. And they get played out as he goes along as well. And so a lot of my focus this morning will be on those blessings. They're called beatitudes, which is kind of a play on the Latin word for blessing. Um, And that's where we're going to spend a bunch of time this morning. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the greatest sermon ever given. It's probably the most often heard, and it's probably the least practiced. We say every morning in our call to worship that we are to recenter ourselves in the story of Jesus. And I think this is something we have to think about, right, with the Sermon on the Mount, is what does Christian allegiance to this platform look like? What does the life following Jesus mean with his articulated vision for how the world and our country should be? I mean, some Christians go as far as, as to not actually participate in federal elections, right? I, I don't, it's not meant to be controversial, but I think some people would say, you know, my identity as a Christian is higher than my, my calling to be part of a, an earthly nation. And it's something that Christians, I think, continue to wrestle with as, as we um, explore faith further, right? That we are part of a kingdom that is not of this world. And so what does this look like? And the Sermon on the Mount is also helping us with some of the biggest questions we have in life. If you're like me, sometimes at the end of a long week, um, you're laying in bed and you can't sleep and you're thinking back on all the things you did and you just think, well, is this it? Like, is this, is this the good life? Am I living the best human life I can? Am I, is this what it's all been about, all of the things that got me tired this week? Uh, am I realizing my full potential as a human being? And I think the Sermon on the Mount tries to answer this. It tries to get at Jesus, Jesus calling us to a human life worth living, the best life that a human could possibly have. Um, he made us, after all, so he probably knows a thing or two about what the good life is. And our series is called Things That Jesus Didn't Say. We can often create a gospel of belief structured around um, maybe just tradition or religion or some sort of charismatic leader we have, uh, rather than the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And so we want to draw our attention to some things that were not said in the Sermon on the Mount as we explore and kind of use that as our framework this month. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, looking at this call of Jesus, and some of the things that weren't actually said in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, a few years ago, there's a a group called the Barna Group, and they did a study about Christian belief, where they asked a bunch of Christians about uh, things that they believed, uh, and asked them to say, like, do they agree that this is something that is taught or not? Just to gauge, like, how well do people know Christianity in the Bible? And the statement for which there was the greatest percentage of people who held positions conflicting with the Bible were those that claim when they said, um, they were claiming that the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves, right? Asked, is this something the Bible teaches? God helps those who help themselves. It's a phrase we've probably heard before, right? 53% of people strongly agreed. Yeah, that's something the Bible teaches. 22% agreed somewhat. So 75% of people surveyed, right, have this idea of God helps those who help themselves, which we would say is actually something that Jesus didn't say. Right? It's actually not in the Bible. And so we need to be in our Bibles. We need to be focusing on the Sermon on the Mount that we do have and be careful about how we can twist and turn what Jesus is saying to the things that we actually would like to hear, the things that we would want to hear, because this sermon is very challenging. It's probably the most often heard and the least one practiced. And what is the place of the Sermon on the Mount in our life? This morning, I've got 20 minutes, so we're just going to scratch the surface. There's a lot going on here, and I've actually struggled a lot with what is worth kind of saying about this this morning. This is rich. I want you to go home and read this Sermon on the Mount for the rest of your life. I want you to keep reading it and hope that by the end of our life, we will have begun to scratch the surface of probably the, the greatest sermon ever written. But I think that we can get a glimpse of what Jesus' reign and rule can look like for us. 
So we'll start with what this sermon does not say. Well, the title of this sermon, something that this sermon does not say is that life should be easy. Or that if I follow the steps outlined here, life will become easier. This is a common misconception, right? We live in a culture where comfortability and ease are the ultimate goal. They're certainly my ultimate goals. When things get tough, we seek solutions to instantly gratify our perceived discomforts. We have levels of luxury that we take for granted that pharaohs and Roman emperors wouldn't have been able to dream of, right? If you're cold right now, like I am, I'm wearing a hat and a, uh, a jacket. If you're cold, you can just go up to a little dial on your wall and turn the temperature up and then sit back down. You don't have to go cut wood. You don't have to haul it home. You don't have to get a fire going. You don't have to hire someone to do that for you. It's just a click of a dial. If you're hungry, you can go to a store that will sell you a hot chicken sandwich ready to eat. You don't have to hunt down the bird. You don't have to kill it. You don't have to fry the chicken. It's just ready to go. If you want more money, you can pretty much go anywhere, and they will give you a little plastic card that you can use online to just get stuff sent to your house. It's amazing. Sometimes they'll even give you like a freebie just to get you to take the card in the first place. It's amazing. If you don't want to hit next on the episode of Netflix you're watching, you don't have to. <laughs> It'll just keep going. It's amazing. Any possible like work that we could be doing, we're just trying to get rid of, right? Comfort and ease and not moving my body are the ultimate goals of life in North America for us. Recently, my iPhone was acting up. I could only use speakerphone, which was annoying to me and everyone in my life. And uh, it wouldn't pick up Wi-Fi. And uh, it, the battery would last half a day. So all I did was I went to the store and I bought a new phone. It was amazing. I didn't have to keep dealing with it. I just rid my life of that problem and I got a new one that was more upgraded faster. And I could actually talk to people without being on speakerphone. So we have this goal of comfort and ease. I'm caught up in it, right? The books that I want to read and the people I want to like, strive to make my life like are the people who are living a really easy lifestyle that I envy. It's one where they're really financially free, they're really fit, and they have everything they want. They can do whatever they want, right? This is kind of the picture of the good life in Canada. It's the good life in Kitchener, Waterloo. This is what it means to be blessed. And I think this can get into the church too, right? There are a lot of Christian books by fit, good-looking male pastors who wear $800 sneakers Selling me books promising that if I just believe blank, or if I just do blank, or if I just give money to their church, that blessings will come, and my life, my body, my disposition, and my shoe choice can reflect theirs. You don't have to look very far to find these. But this is not our life, right? Or certainly all this comfort can make us think this is how life ought to be. It should just be easy and comfortable. I should just be able to replace the bad things and get new iPhones. How then do we interpret and experience the very real challenges or simply life things that happen to us? How do we interpret the suffering that we experience? The slow, long suffering, like a thousand paper cuts, right? Damaged family relationships, the inability to stay afloat. So let's turn to these blessings in the Sermon on the Mount. What is Jesus' blessing? And see what he did and didn't say. Jesus never said that if we just do blank, things are going to be easy. These blessings do not omit the suffering we face, but they're a promise of God's presence in the midst of suffering. He did not say we're blessed because of a state we've achieved. I think that's a, a misinterpretation of some of these beatitudes. It's a tempting way to read them, right? If we work at these specific things, if I do this, if I become this way, if I get the right mindset, if I say the right prayer, then I'll be blessed. 
They're not explicit instructions on how to be blessed, this legal code for divine favor. They're not character traits we must work to form in our life to receive a blessing. That can all just turn, I think, into pretty quickly into divine legalism. If I do this, then God is happy with me, and it just becomes an equation, and we've been stuck in that far too long. Jesus also didn't say that these things, if we do these things, we can, um, we'll get in, you know, what can follow is that, like, if we, if we try to do these things, what will follow is that we can believe um, and we can achieve this independent of a closeness with him. Right? Oh, if I just act the way the Sermon on the Mount is talking, then I can actually do life fine on my own. I don't need God's help. I don't actually need a close relationship with my Father. If I work at becoming this way, I'll just be blessed in the future. So what does this sermon say, right? Jesus offers a list of blessings not to make life easy. These blessings clarify Jesus' me- message, his platform, and they're the ability under the availability of God. The first one says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is an interesting one. The first one right here, because a lot of translations say, God blesses the poor in spirit who realize their need for him. And I was reading through some commentaries, and someone was saying, no, this is actually a lot of biblical writers trying to make sense of what seems like such a ridiculous claim. The claim is that the poor in spirit have the kingdom of heaven. So we, we change it when we say the poor in spirit. Well, those who realize the poor in spirit, right? You've got to become aware that you're poor in spirit and realize your need for God before you can have the kingdom of heaven. I was reading my own. I've been on the NLT for years, the New Living Translation. I use it for my personal devotions. And uh, I realized that that's what it says. I felt let down. It was like, you have misinterpreted this, right? It says the poor in spirit who realize their need for him. But the best translation we have is that it's just the poor in spirit. The ones who are poor in spirit have the kingdom of God available to them. It's those without religion. In spite of their desire to be anywhere close to God or feel like they can't, the kingdom is theirs. Maybe it's yours. The list continues on. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Right? Those of us who are broken, those of us who are hurting and crying, right? Whatever it may be, for a world that's getting warmer or a family that's getting colder. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, years ago, I came across this, and I thought it was just great. The meek shall inherit the earth, right? Jesus comes back. He says, I've returned. I'm here to take all the strongest, richest, sexiest humans to heaven. And the meek are there like, but didn't you say the, oh, oh, okay, right. And they'll just take it, right? That's what's going to end at the end of the world. The meek will inherit the earth while Jesus takes everyone away with him. I don't think that's what it's saying. But it's just the idea of that, yeah, you get it now. The meek will be left. Sorry. <laughs> it's the quiet and the humble, right? This is one of those funny ones because if we, if we acknowledge like, oh, yeah, I'm meek and humble, the chances are we're probably not. Um, the, the walked upon, right? Those who don't fit our world's idea of boldly taking what you want, you know, seizing your own destiny. Because don't we know that the earth is inherited by the powerful? Isn't that what we see playing out in history and in our daily news cycle? The earth belongs to the powerful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Maybe this is the need for justice on behalf of someone else. Or the longing to make something right in our own lives, something that we have done. Isn't, aren't those who have done some of the deepest wrongs those who long to have reconciliation the most? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. 
Showing mercy is not a good tactic to having the good life in our culture. Rachel and I recently bought our first car, which is just like buying a car is about the worst experience you can have. It's certainly not comfortable and easy as it's going. And I did my best to make sure the car we bought was great. Uh, it was safetyed before I bought it, right? Good sign. I don't know a thing about cars. And so I bought this thing. I'm feeling good about my purchase. And I take it to a mechanic just to look over it. And it looks like there's all these things that they missed in the safety. There's all these, um, I don't even know. But there's, there's things that should have been safetyed that were not. And now I'm stuck with this car that has a safety that needs a bunch of repairs done. So what does mercy look like to me? Am I filing a complaint with the MTO? Am I going back at the guy who bought this for me? I mean, I think this gets tough, right? How do we actually live out a merciful way of life when things come at us in life? It's certainly not the common advice. It would be to get, extend mercy in a situation like this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those who long for the good, the quality, I promise to see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We certainly live in a tough time on peacemakers, right? Our country and communities seem more and more polarized. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Dallas Willard says that through Jesus, the rule of God from the heavens truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond human hope. And Jesus has to clarify all this with his audience, right? The end of the scripture that Helen read for us is him clarifying how this relates to the law. He says, I'm not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. His audience would have thought he was doing away with their entire tradition or understanding of reality. God blessed the rich with their wealth. It was obvious. If you had money, it meant you had God's favor. The poor were clearly unclean and out of divine favor. So to say something like, the poor in spirit have the kingdom of heaven is utterly radical. And to a lot of his hearers would have felt like he was just throwing away their entire tradition. And so Jesus has to clarify for them. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not here to abolish the law. I think he's saying that this is what the law was set up to originally do. Jesus is trying to hone in on what the law has tried to been about. But for too long, the law has been turned into hoops and jumps, keeping some people outside for a lack of righteousness and a few inside for a perceived righteousness. And so what do we do with all of this? How do we reorient our lives to live in a world infused with the presence of God? What righteousness should be our goal? The Beatitudes are reflecting these new commandments from this new Moses. And first, I want you to before anything else, hear them for yourself. I don't know what your life is. I don't know what you're addicted to. I don't know what you're trying to stop. I don't know who you have hurt or who you're hurting, even if it's yourself. I don't know what you're doing to just try to hold everything in your life together as best you can. And I don't know what keeps you away, keeps you from believing and knowing that you are a beloved child of God. These beatitude blessings are for you, for all who are poor in spirit. 
I'm a work in progress. I have to remember that I am God's work in progress. And we need to believe this about ourselves and remind others of it too. Jesus lived this. He lived as if we were all God's children. We do not worship a faraway God. We worship and follow a present king. Jesus blessed many who were not part of the religious group who were following very well. He walked around blessing all sorts of people, those in power and those with none, the fishermen and the tax collectors and the money stealers, those who were bleeding and the soldiers who probably fought and oppressed the people of God. I think it's, it's likely that as we all each read the Gospels, someone that Jesus loved and cared for will make us kind of upset and offended because it just doesn't seem right that Jesus would extend such grace and love to that person. And the second half of the Beatitudes are in the present tense. Those who do work for peace, those who are persecuted for doing right. He says, you know, when people mock you, it's an assumed that this is going to happen. These are going to happen when we walk down this road with God. We live in a culture that I don't really think is that different than the one in Jesus' time, right? The hearers of this first telling of the Sermon on the Mount would have accepted that those with a lot of wealth were favored by God. Those who were poor in spirit or in funds, you know, clearly had done something to be cursed or out of favor with God. And these blessings that Jesus is saying really shocked them. And I think the laws of our land are pretty similar, right? Like, who gets the most likes on Instagram? Who makes the news headlines? Likes online are from the physically beautiful, right? We have a whole class of people living fantasy lifestyles, being thin, exposing the right places, certainly not being bald or overweight. A certain demographic gets venerated as the ideal in the movies, the ones we should all try to be like. These are the goals we're kind of implicitly told. The goal we're all striving to be like. I mean, who, who do we like talking to after church? Who are we interested in getting to know better in our own communities? And when something goes wrong, do we believe it to be God coming after us and our family? The Beatitudes are a harsh reminder that the order Jesus is ushering in is not one of ease and comfort, but is one of righteousness and justice. And it is good. It's a richer existence than the ones we see photoshopped online or see in the news cycle. The people of value, the characteristics of value, are overturned in the upside-down kingdom of God. These are the things that Jesus holds up as blessed. And this call continues as Jesus reminds people to be salt and light. Salt brings out the good in food. We have a bit of a salt epidemic amongst us, part of the ease and comfortability and deliciousness that I so crave. But at its best, right, salt is something that exposes and draws out the flavor and the goodness in other things. Light exposes and illuminates, so clarity can be had. And how are we all called to bring out the best and shine light in the darkness? I believe that all of us have inclinations to these traits, these beatitudes that Jesus encourages. Each of us. A few of these are going to sit with us more than others. Whether it be peace, or justice, or mercy. A desire for purity and the good. We must live into these in spite of the fact that it's going to be hard. The fact that it's going to be a lot of hardship when we actually try to live them out. We need to actually trust that they are blessed the best way to flourish as a human when we live these traits out. Following in the way of Jesus, 
because he lived them out. Live into your mercy. Don't push down the need for justice that you hunger for. Continue to make peace. Even when our culture and world looks at you like a simple fool who just doesn't get it, who's maybe too idealistic or doesn't understand how things are. Perhaps this is, as the end of the passage said, one of the evils they will utter falsely against us. It's not going to be easy. It was never promised to be easy. So stop believing it will be once you get everything sorted out. But this is the best life we can have. The promise of Christ that through these traits and through this way of seeing value in others, we will have the good life. And believing this almost a Believing this almost paradox is also not going to be easy. But we don't have to do it alone. We can support one another. We can support as a church to encourage one another to believe and live into this. Believe this about ourselves and about the kingdom of God. And as Melissa mentioned earlier, we want to actually explore this as a church. There's this book that we want to go through together, The Slow Kingdom Coming. There's a lot of values that I think really resonate with the Sermon on the Mount here. And I've been here, it's like five years now. I don't think we've ever been like, hey, everyone, you should read this book. Like, we don't, it's not like every month we're like, hey, this is a book everyone should read. Get on board, right? Like, I think the, the fact that we haven't done this a lot would hopefully press upon you the, the sense of conviction we have that this one is worth our time. That we should spend some time reading this together as a community and exploring uh, what it would mean for our community to live this out. We think it's worth it. We haven't done that before in five years. And we have to trust that we're not doing this alone. Early on I said that something that is not being said, that Jesus didn't say, is that by adopting these behaviors, we're just good to go. That we can kind of work out our own salvation independent of what Jesus is doing. It's through the ongoing work of a Jesus who loves you and draws closer to you than we can imagine or believe that we deserve that this slow kingdom will come. It's a platform worth getting behind this October because God is behind it and in it and through it and with us. And he's with you. He really is. So let's vote with our feet and our attitudes and our kitchen tables and our guest rooms this fall for this slow kingdom that we can trust to be the best life that a human can live. And I want to end with a blessing. I'm going to read these Beatitudes again. And I want you to just sit in them. And I want you to maybe pray really quick that if there's one that needs to sit out to you, that it would. That God would maybe draw to your attention this morning a beatitude that you need to focus on or remember for your own life. Or if there's someone in your life that you need to encourage this week who needs to hear this for themselves. So that you may go and live this not easy but great and worthwhile life that God is calling us into. So I'll offer this as our prayer this morning. You who are poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You who mourn, you will be comforted. You meek, you will inherit the earth. You who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. You who are merciful, you will receive mercy. You pure in heart, you will see God. You peacemakers, you will be called children of God. You who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, yours is the kingdom of heaven. 
And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, from the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen.